0: How can we both receive and share faith through journeying? What does enough look like as we walk the path of life? Can we go on pilgrimage without leaving behind our everyday lives? And what can pilgrimage teach us about Christ? Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast to Cramer Hall Durham where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church, and the world. I'm your host, Philip Plimming. And in today's show, I'll be talking to Bishop Stephen Cottrell. Bishop Stephen is Bishop of Chelmsford. In 2016, he spent three weeks on pilgrimage walking the Camino to Santiago de Compostela in Spain. He's written about it. And so our question as we talk today is, how can pilgrimage help us encounter God? Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy the show. Stephen Cotterell, welcome to Talking Theology. Thank you. It's very good to be with you, Philip. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Your current role is... um Bishop of Chelmsford, tell us how you got to that role, and then perhaps give us a little bit of insight into what a day in the life of the Bishop of Chelmsford. was oh, Well, like. how,
1: how I got to be Bishop of Chelmsford, who knows? <laughs> um, uh, I, I was I was the last, I think, one of the last bishops to be appointed without there needing to be an interview. So the first thing I knew about being the Bishop of Chelmsford was was literally when the letter arrived on my mat. I opened it, and it was a letter from the Prime Minister inviting me to be a bishop. So, uh, so I'm the last of that generation who really didn't know anything about it and, until it happened. With that comes a certain liberation, I have to say. Uh, but times have changed. What does my life look like? Well, I mean, no two days are the same, but I, I see the job of a bishop as being a pastor and an evangelist. Uh, so it's it's my job to have oversight and care for the church in all its great diversity, and to be a voice and a face for the Christian faith, in my case in East London and Essex where I serve.
0: Today we're thinking about pilgrimage and walk and journey. Tell us what the journey
1: to your current role looked like. What were the different roles that God called you to? Yes, well I mean I wasn't brought, first of all I wasn't brought up going to church, so there was There was God, God was in my life I I think I always as a child had a sense of God But it was completely unformed I won't give you my whole testimony There isn't time because it is a long and complicated one But um, a key text from scripture for me Has always been that bit at the end of John chapter 6 Where everyone has gone except for the disciples And Jesus says basically I suppose you're going to go as well and Peter steps forward and says, where, where else can we go? Um, you have the message of eternal life. And that's my story, really. I, I don't particularly want to be a Christian, did not particularly want to be a priest. It's just when you've caught a glimpse of the living God, you know, you've had it. And so my life has never been the same again. This wasn't the life I was planning. Um, and it's led me to all sorts of places, but none of it was ever my plan. It's just kind of happened. It's all just a kind of incredible surprise. And an incredible adventure. So I've served as a parish priest, I've been a canon of a cathedral, I've been a diocesan missioner, I've had a national job in the Church of England, and and now, amazingly, I'm a bishop. But first and foremost, um, I think of myself, well, perhaps this is a segue into what we're going to talk about, as a pilgrim, as Mm. as one who walks the way of
0: Christ. So let's think about that theme of pilgrimage. And, And first of all, let's hear a little bit about how you have found yourself particularly engaging with pilgrimage, both as a practitioner and as a pilgrim, as a, somebody who's reflected on it. I know since f- 2014 you've set aside time to do missionary walks around your diocese, and then I think it was in 2016 you walked the Camino from Santiago de Compostela. Yeah. Um, what was behind those kind of walks and what what made you want to do them?
1: Well, it's a whole kind of jumble of, of ideas. I mean, f- first of all... The human life is a journey. I mean, there's nothing religious or Christian about that. It begins when you're born, it ends when you die. If you're not sure, check the small print, you will find it does end when you die. So that motif of journey is there inside all of us. And as we get older, we're aware that there's more road behind us than there is up ahead of us. Then the motif of journey is deeply embedded in Scripture in all kinds of ways. I mean, supremely... Of course, the journey of the Exodus, which is the shaping journey and events for God's people. Then there's all the journeys that Jesus makes in his ministry, which are both pilgrimages, as we might call it, when he went to Jerusalem for the festival. You know, the the famous bit when he's a child and he gets lost in the crowds uh, going to the festival. Uh, And his his endless meanderings um, around Palestine during his earthly ministry. And then there's all the journeys that Christians have made down through the centuries to holy places, supremely the Holy Land itself. And then, then there is the sense that the gift of the Christian faith is the gift that that journey which ends in death becomes holy pilgrimage which leads to life, uh, that through death and beyond death is the true destination Um, of the whole creation. So all those ideas of journey interest me. And also, I like walking, just for the very ordinary. I like walking. Um, And when I was a parish priest uh, many years ago, uh, I went to a church where my wife, on, on Sunday number one, my wife was the youngest person in the congregation. I was the second youngest. Then there was quite a gap to the next person. No children and young people at all. And that just felt terribly wrong. And one of my main aims, if I do nothing else in my time here, I want there to be some families and young people worshipping here. And in order to try to kick-start some youth ministry, I'd always been interested in the idea of pilgrimage. And as a curate, I'd been on two walking pilgrimages from South London to the Shrine of Our Lady at Walsingham. And I was a parish priest in Chichester, just off the South Downs Way, which, of course, is the ancient pilgrim way from Winchester to Canterbury. And so to cut a long story short, I wrote a letter to all the teenagers who I found out used to go to church and had all abandoned it and said, I'm going to walk to Canterbury next summer. Do you fancy coming with me? And six or seven of them did. Two of those are now ordained, two of those young people. Um, And that summer... We walked 150 miles from Chichester to Canterbury, and it was the most glorious experience. And in the following years, we walked. One year we walked from Durham to York. Uh, one year we walked to Glastonbury. We went to Tézé in France. Didn't walk there. And pilgrimage became for me a way of doing youth ministry and actually doing youth evangelism. Many, many young people came to faith, or at least had their faith. You know, came alive for them on the road. And then, of course, you think of that other great journey in Scripture, the Emmaus Road story, where they say, after they've encountered Jesus, didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road? So my experience of journey and pilgrimage is that on the road, things happen to you.
0: So let's think about that in terms of pilgrimage as a a journey to a destination or a journey in and of itself. You've mentioned pilgrimages there that had destinations, be it Canterbury or the Holy Land. Historically, pilgrimages were shaped significantly by the place you ended up. Yeah. But but what you're saying is that it's as much shaped by the journey there and who you go on it with and how you encounter God on the way. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that is. I mean, that's how I see it. I mean, I think we're probably the first generation of Christians who think that pilgrimage is about arriving you know so you'll you'll find many parishes say we're having a pilgrimage what they mean is we're hiring a bus and we're going for a day out to some holy place now there's nothing wrong with doing that but we have to recognize that almost every other generation of christian and indeed many other religions where pilgrimage is part of their faith would not recognize that as a pilgrimage because the destination is really important but so is the journey. In fact, I think I probably want to say the journey is more important. Though without a destination, you're you're just wandering around in circles. So you need a destination. But it's but it's what happens on the road that matters. And I therefore also think I want to draw a distinction between. Well, certainly you you mentioned the the journeys I do around the diocese where I serve, which have been a really important and joyful bit of my ministry. I don't think of those as pilgrimages. Um, I rather pompously call those missionary journeys? You know, so my inspiration for those, you know, is Saint Paul. You know, I think of those journeys that he made. Now they weren't pilgrimages. Um, Paul they were ma- pioneering. They yeah. were going into new ground, yeah, yeah, weren't Paul they? Paul made those journeys. Well, I think for two reasons. One, to evangelise, to share the gospel, to plant churches, but also, fascinatingly, to visit churches. I mean, for me, one of the most powerful bits of the New Testament is when Paul gets to Rome. I love that bit. When he gets to Rome, it says the Christians from Rome came out to meet him. They were, wow! How did that
0: happen? And they travelled a few days to do it, yeah. didn't it? Because if you track the the biblical narrative, yeah, yeah. it's it's
1: I've been there where it happened, yeah. and it's, it's quite a, it's amazing. But for me, it's amazing that there was a church in Rome already. That that the Holy Spirit is always one step ahead, several steps ahead. And so Paul, yes, travels to take the gospel, but the Holy Spirit is there ahead of him, and the church is there. So he's doing those journeys to encourage existing churches and plant new ones. And so I started doing these missionary journeys around the diocese for those same two reasons. I said, the reason I'm making this journey is first of all to visit churches and to thank you. Just to thank you for your witness to the gospel in this place but also to pray that today God will open the door of opportunity for me somehow, somewhere, with someone to share the gospel. And those prayers have been answered in small ways and sometimes in larger ways. Some churches as it were, put on some sort of evangelistic event, knowing that I'm going to be in town. Sometimes, of course, it just happens on the road. You bump into somebody, um, a conversation starts. Some people just hear the bishop is on walkabout that day and decide to join in. People of faith and people very much on the fringes of faith. So those aren't pilgrimages. They're what I call missionary journeys. So the missionary journey is the journey to share the faith, The pilgrimage, I suppose, is the journey to receive the faith. It is about deepening one's own discipleship.
0: And I wonder if we could explore that sense of receiving faith Mm. from a historical perspective, because a lot of these pilgrimages that you've described in terms of the Chichester to Canterbury, as you say, is the old pilgrim's way or the the pilgrimage of uh, the Camino, if you like, to Santiago de Compostela, or pilgrimage in the Holy Land, as I've done, are... Taking the same steps that people before us have taken mm. historically in the past, yeah. and in what sense have you found pilgrimage as a way of connecting with the people who've walked before us? And how important is that?
1: Yeah, well, for me, profoundly important. I mean, uh, I'm I'm trying not to talk about the Camino to Santiago because when I do, it's like turning on a tap, um, and because uh, it was it was kind of like the most joyful thing. Apart from sort of marriage and the birth of your children, it's, it's almost the most joyful thing I have ever think I've ever done in my life. And Give I did us a it, glimpse. I did it on my own. But the, one of the profound things was that people had walked this way before mm. me. That incredible sense of being part of a church which is so much bigger than yourself, stretching backwards in time, um, forwards in time and space... Uh, I was profoundly aware of... I did it on my own. I walked on my own for nearly a month, doing, you know, 750, 800 kilometres across mountainous northern Spain. And yet I was never alone. Um, Each evening you formed little communities with fellow pilgrims. You walked a few miles with somebody that you might never see again. Um, and even when you're on your own. I found myself often up in the mountains. I sang to myself. I composed poems in my head. It was a profound experience also of of vulnerability, because my life is very comfortable. I'm not worrying tonight where my meal is coming from. I'm not worrying where I'm going to sleep, and that has been my experience of life. The necessities of life have, have been there for me. Uh, When I walked to Santiago, I think almost for the first time in my life, when I set off that first day in northern Spain, I didn't know where I was going to sleep that night. Um, I didn't book ahead. I mean, all the advice was, don't do it like that. Put your pack on your back, start walking, listen to your body, listen to the weather. You might walk 10 kilometres today, you might walk 30. If you've imprisoned yourself in a schedule of booked hotels along the way, one, it'll be very expensive... And two, it'll become a route march, not a pilgrimage. So I simply set off, and I walked, and I trusted that I would find somewhere to sleep, that I would have something to eat, and of course I did, but I didn't know it at the time. So to begin with, there was a great sense of vulnerability, a realization that I had to re- I had to become much more dependent upon the hospitality of well, of strangers. Oh, well, that was good for my soul, really, because you know I'm a bishop, I'm a member of the House of Lords. Um, my life is carefully mapped out for me. People look after me. Um, people look after my diary, and everything's controlled about my life. Um, and it has to be that way. It was joy and liberation to strip it all away and just be Stephen on pilgrimage.
0: Thank you for that. Yeah. So what you've described, Stephen, is is that pilgrimage is, is not just a journey to a destination. It's actually about the journey on the way there. But it's not even just about the journey. It's about a particular attitude to that journey that involves attentiveness to the past and a dependence in the present.
1: Yeah, I think it's about learning how to inhabit life. That my aspiration, though I fall way short of it, but my aspiration is to walk through life as a pilgrim. So the things that I learned that month on the road... Well, take a, a silly, not a silly example, a profound example for our world, travelling light. When I set off, all the guides I read about walking the Camino said, if you can, try to get your rucksack down to 10 kilograms, implying that you wouldn't do it, but try to get it down to 10. I weighed mine the day before I set off, and it came in at just over 9.00. I thought that's really good. Only nine kilograms. I'm travelling light, though. Let me tell you, you know, nine kilograms is still quite a lot when you're going uphill in the heat. But I still had too much stuff, and that was such a, such a realization. I've got too much. So I took three shirts, three pairs of trousers, three pairs of knickers, three pairs of socks. You don't need three. You need two. Wash one, wear one. Wash one, wear one. So I walked with my sort of washing from the night before, drying on the back of my rucksack each day. But you don't need three. Now that was a real lesson for life. Now there's a prayer I say every day, you and your the the listeners may be familiar with it. It goes, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, give us today our daily bread. And for me, I'm a slow learner, but on the pilgrimage, I think I at last learnt what that meant. Give me today what I need for today. Show me what enough looks like. Now, is there a more important thing for our world to learn at the moment? To learn, what does, en- what does enough look like? In this time of you know, environmental crisis, what does enough look like? And how can we learn to pray to receive just what we need? Now, my life is such a million miles away from that. But on the pilgrimage, I started to see what it might look like to just simply live with enough. And so now that I'm home, back with all my stuff, I'm trying to inhabit life as a pilgrim who travels light, um, who pays attention to the journey, who's open to the hospitality of strangers. Or or another insight, um, this is one for the church rather than for the world, when you're on pilgrimage you are not able to choose your fellow pilgrims. Um, So if somebody's just walking at the same pace as you, alongside you, you can't lose them, or it's very hard to. They are there, whether you like it or not. Now, we live in a church at the moment that really would like to choose its fellow pilgrims. And actually, that's just... It's just not an option that's open to us. God, God is the judge, not us. So, yeah, I I learnt so much on on that particular pilgrimage about what it means to be a Christian. I'm simply, like all Christians, I'm a sinner taking the cure, trying to work out what that might look like in, in the pilgrimage of my discipleship.
0: I remember when I've led pilgrimages to the Holy Land and there's a particular site just west of Jericho where I encourage us to sit down and look at the path from... Jericho up to Jerusalem, and if that's not exactly the path that Jesus trod, it's somewhere very close yeah. to it, and and just imagining Jesus walking by, and then imagining that we follow him up that same path, mm. and we're, we're, we're walking in, in other words, steps that he trod, and that that always gives me a fresh insight about what it means to be a pilgrim, to follow in Jesus, mm. and to see with fresh eyes of wonder what he did for us what, what, what has pilgrimage done for you in terms of helping you understand the the, the good news of the gospel the beauty of christ uh, you yeah. know you talked about the vulnerability and dependence what's that opened you up to
1: well certainly the camino experience was both one who has walked this way before me i.e., the one who has shared my humanity and knows what it's like to be me But also for me, very particularly, it was the one who bore the weight for me. And I I found myself thinking about weight ever such a lot, Mm -hmm. which was chiefly because I had this wretched pack on my back the whole time, and it was heavy. So, I mean, I I think I mentioned I I composed these poems in my head each day as, as something to do, and one of the poems begins, I know a man who carries heavy loads... Um, and it's a poem about Christ. And lots of the poems were about Christ. And um, I just felt I came closer to Christ as I walked, as the one who walks with me and the one who carries things for me. I think also I learnt something about prayer. I've always been somebody who craves stillness and solitude, but is not very good at it. And perhaps I'd always felt a little bit guilty that I wasn't good at it. I think I discovered, another discovery was, that I think I'm one of those people who finds interior stillness through moving. And I think there's quite a lot of us like that. So walking each day, particularly in the mountains, was a profound experience of interior stillness and contemplation. Yeah, and so I just found myself thinking and meditating upon who Jesus is for me. So it was a time of profound thanksgiving. Also, some dark times. I'm, I'm making it sound like it's this blissful, ecstatic experience. There were some dark times. There were times when I th- felt I can't, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I'm not going to make it. Um, there were times when I got very hungry because um, I wasn't, I wasn't very good at working out what food to carry and knowing when the next village would come where I could buy some stuff
0: thank you yeah there may be listeners to this for whom Santiago de Compostela or Jericho feels not only physically a long way away but also a significant distance from their experience or indeed their capacity perhaps physically or financially those sorts of possibilities remain out of reach what are the what are the lessons or the habits or disciplines that, that each of us in our own daily life can learn from a a journey of a life of yeah. pilgrimage?
1: Well, a few thoughts. Um, I, actually, I went to a book launch. I can't believe it I'm plugging somebody else's book. But I went to a book launch last night of Stephen Need, who was the principal of St George's College in Jerusalem a few years ago. And he's written a book which he, he's kind of promoting as an armchair pilgrimage this is a book for those who'd love to go to the holy land but either for reasons of cost or you know frailty can't and he's written a book which takes you through the sites while you sit in your armchair I haven't read the book yet but I bought a copy and I think well that's a really interesting idea um, and so there are books I think which can books of meditations which take you on a journey let us give thanks for Saint Francis of Assisi who encountered this problem and uh, introduced into church buildings what we call the Stations of the Cross. The whole point of the Stations of the Cross, which I think has got forgotten by the church today, is that they are there for those who can't get to the Holy Land. Um, So if you can't actually follow the journey of Jesus' last hours in the old city of Jerusalem, which you've done many Mm -hmm. times, I've done once, incredibly moving thing to do, you can make the journey in your church building using pictures around the wall. And sadly, this has become some, is thought of as some sort of high church thing. Ridiculous. Every church could do this and should do it, Um, you know, during Lent and Holy Week. You know, make some pictures, make some stations and create a little journey around your church building, reflecting upon the last hours of Jesus's life. And church buildings themselves, even your own local parish church, think of it as your holy place your representation in wood and stone of the church of the holy sepulcher uh, think of it the, the the place where you can experience the death and resurrection of jesus and go on pilgrimage there you know if you normally go to church by car stop walk to church next sunday walk and make your going to church a journey and a pilgrimage and and see how it changes um, the way you experience the the travelling and the arriving I mean the more I think about it, maybe that'd be the, one of the most best things we could do in the church in this country is to say, if you can walk to church, what a difference that might make to your spiritual life and to your experience when you get there.
0: and I note that pilgrimage. Itself is becoming increasingly spoken of in the church and indeed in society as well. The sense of walking as mm. good for you uh, in our own diocese here in Durham next year as a year of pilgrimage and What's behind do you think both the churches and society's interest in pilgrimage, and what does it perhaps indicate about our longings, our interests?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question, and I'm sure I don't know the answer. I think it is probably something about, you know, there is a reawakening of interest in the spiritualities and religious practices of the past, Mm. which can be a dangerous and rather sentimental thing, but has got much to teach us. I'm always more interested in in reimagining and reowning those traditions for ourselves today and not feeling we have to do it just because other people did it in the past. But there is an interest, which I think can be a positive thing. I think there's certainly an interest in uh, in simplifying our lives and there's an urgent need for us to simplify our lives. And as soon as you set out on a journey, especially on foot, you have to think very, very carefully about what you take with you and therefore what you leave behind.
0: I remember when I was uh, training here at Cranmer Hall 20 years ago, I walked St Cuthbert's Way from yeah. Melrose through to Holy yeah. Island. I remember that I was doing that when I was training for ministry, set an important trajectory for, I think, some of the things you've spoken of today in terms of leaving things behind, dependence, Mm. vulnerability, and a sense of the journey as much as the destination. You've spoken of this already, but how would you summarise how pilgrimage has shaped your own faith in ministry?
1: I hope it's made me a more joyful person. I don't think I was a miserable git before I set off, um, but I think it's made me a more joyful person. I'd like to think that it's made me more open and generous to receiving as well as to giving. For me, it's both the missionary journeys, those journeys to share the Christian faith, and the pilgrimages, those journeys, as it were, to receive the Christian faith. I would love to see us be a church that makes more of both those kinds of journeys. So let me finish perhaps by saying this. You know, people... I often find in the back home in the diocese, people, you know, like 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 they phone my office and I'm not there. Um, and then they, like today, somebody might be phoning now. Um, and then when I see them, they say, "Well, I, you know, I phoned you, Bishop, and you you weren't there." And and for a few years, I would apologise. Oh, I'm I'm really sorry. I was you know I was out doing something. But now I don't apologise. Now I say, out of interest, when you imagine me doing my work as a bishop, what picture do you have in your mind? Clearly the picture out of their mind is somebody sitting at a desk. But that's not what a bishop is meant to be. A bishop is a pastor and an evangelist. It's an apostolic ministry. My primary work is to facilitate the ministry of the whole church, but also to embody it. If I'm not out on the road, encouraging and equipping the church and sharing the gospel, you know, what's the point? So missionary journey pilgrimage have become I suppose you know the conjugate foci of my ministry as a bishop in the church
0: you mentioned a poem that you wrote that started I know a man who carries heavy loads
1: I wonder if you'd finish by reading that poem I'd be delighted to I'd be delighted to I mean it's you know I don't claim it's a great poem but I do claim it's heartfelt and also I, I do feel God's called me to be an evangelist and the poem is meant to convert you so I know a man who carries heavy loads for whom no weight's too sharp nor yet too sheer who does not ask whence such a burden came or why it has been carried all these years but does not share it Splitting half with half or say you get what you deserve no less. It is for ones like me still undeserving that he comes to shoulder and to bless. He picks up what you press on him and chides you with a smile. If you persist in keeping what you cannot bear his heart is strong and Though not a strength incapable of weeping. Oh, come to him, if broken, burdened, sad. In holding you, this strong man's heart is glad.
0: Stephen Cottrell, thank you very much for appearing on Talking Theology.
1: Thank you, Philip. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmer Hall, Durham. Cranmer Hall is a theological college within St. John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmerhall.com.